He got us knew why it was so important to knock on the refrigerator door before you open it. Salad might be dressing. <laughs> might be you went until the calendar the next, the next one's good. Uh, I, I feel for the calendar. Me too. Because its days are numbered. <laughs> <laughs> Over to the refrigerator yesterday and started knocking on the door. And I'm like, what, what the heck are you doing? doing? And then he'd stare at me. And I'm like, and then he'd knock again. I'm like, what? Uh, you know, I don't have time for this. Business. Oh no, what did it say? Memory card's full. That's so weird. It came it's back on, I think. Hmm. Well, we'll just have to download that Facebook. Yeah, it's full. Strange. I don't have that chunk either. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe it's time for a new one. But anyway, so fine, like, what are you doing? He said, we got to make sure salad's not dressing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. I'll have to do that with Richard today. Yeah. He didn't hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, we made sure you were back. Yes, yes, we're in a Yeah, that's funny. Okay. Uh, we're in 1 uh, Kings chapter 10. We're going to uh, read verses 14 through 22. Uh, to start off with, we read these last week, but I just want to tie last week's into uh, this week's. It says, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, besides that which came from explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the West and from the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold, 600 shekels of gold went to each shield, and he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. And I'm assuming that's one of his other palaces, maybe? The house of Lebanon. Uh, the king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps, and the throne had a round top. And on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests. While 12 lions stood there, one for each end of the step on the six steps, the like of, it, of which was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon, for the king had a fleet of sheeps of Tarshish, ships, not sheeps, ships, of Tarshish, Tarshish at sea. <laughs> Man, that's a little tough to say right there. With the fleet of Hiram, once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Okay, so I, I, I mentioned you know, last week, the 666 is kind of an interesting deal there. Uh, I'm not sure if it's tied prophetically, but it... it well, it's 25 <coughs> tons. I just got through wow. the right. And that would be 50,000 pounds. Of gold. You know, I think that puts it for me more than talents because we don't deal with them. Right, right. That's amazing. So 50,000 pounds. Gosh. That's so you have an incredible amount of in, you know, wealth coming in to the kingdom. And, uh, you know, silver, I mean, like if you think about it today, silver is hardly worth anything either. Uh, it's like, 
$16, I think, an ounce. Or is it less? Oh, oh, is it higher? It's going up. And there's a lot of people are saying eventually it will go, go, go up. up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what is it now? Do you know? It changes. Yeah, it changes every day. I'm going to say it. It was 18, 19, 17. It depends on. It was. Last I saw it was just right hovering around that 30. Interesting. Okay. All right, so we've got this incredible amount of wealth. We've got where silver is uh, so common it's not even considered worth your time. And then it says in uh, verse 23, so this is a setting. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, he had 14,000 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. So again, he's pointing that out, which is kind of interesting. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of... Anyone want to just throw out that, how they would pronounce that? Shephala? And Solomon's import of horses were from, was from Egypt and Q, and the king's traders received from Q at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. So through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the king of Syria. Okay, so the first thing I want to point out in this passage is wisdom brought wealth. And we've seen that. It's time. Wisdom and wealth are tied together. Okay, and I went ahead and just read the entire passage to 29 if you're wondering. So wisdom and wealth are tied together. Wisdom drew world's leaders that brought gifts leading to even more wealth. And I love this because we see that Solomon's wisdom opened the door of influence to all of the world. Probably all the known world. Uh, which is incredible. So when God says, if there's anything you get... Get understanding. Get wisdom. There's a reason for that. And there's also a reason that Jesus is called the wisdom of God. He is wisdom for us. He has become wisdom to us, right? So because we have him on the inside of us, people should be knocking on our doors for us to solve their problems. They really should. And the way you start doing it is you just start doing it. You know, it's you trust the wisdom of God. I cannot tell you how many times I have someone say, hey, I have this and this problem, and it can be personal, it can be business-wise. The personal ones are um, a little bit overwhelming because I'm sitting there like, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, like I, and I get nervous, you know, like, oh my gosh, and what if I say something that is the wrong thing? And So I'll, I'll definitely, you know, feel all of those things and then I sat down with them, and I just listened. And for, sometimes for the first, like, 15, 20 minutes, I'm sitting there like, I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to say. I mean, I'm just like, and, and then it's like you're going through all your file folders. No, nope, nothing's in there. But you just wait. 
And it's like all of a sudden, like we were talking about last week, it's like time slows. And now you know wisdom is about to speak. The anointing is there. And I'll say whatever, you know, or it'll be like a light turns on. I'm like, oh, this would be applicable to this situation, or this story in the Bible would definitely fit this situation. And so, for example, last night, I hadn't talked to one of my uh, mentoring clients in a long time. It was a personal mentoring, not business. And uh, and she's got a, a situation with her son that is feeling intense and immense rejection from his father, um, along with several other things that are going on. And so we're talking, and I'm pointing out a few things just from experience. And all of a sudden, I said, the reason... He is experiencing so much rejection is he probably has a prophetic call and prophets will always have to learn the lesson of rejection because most people that are called to the prophetic can tend toward being people pleasers now not all of them but a lot of them and so they will go through rejection after rejection it could be friends it could be family it could be spouses it doesn't matter Parents, they will go through rejection so that there is no fear to speak what they're supposed to speak. And she said, hang on, hang on. And so I'm sitting there, wait for the Jeopardy music to come on. And she said, I'm sorry, I had to gather myself. And I'm like, okay, you just get laid out in the morning, what's going on? She said, when you said that, I felt such a weightiness, really is the presence of the Lord on her, that her head dropped down and her whole body got enveloped in the presence of God. Okay, what is it? I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, what, you know, what should I say? You feel the anointing, all of a sudden, it's like, this is what's happening. <clears throat> Why did God want her to know that? So that she could then translate that into this young man's language. Because one of the things that can happen with someone that is rejected continually is anger and bitterness will take root and it will try to corrupt that, right? And so she said, when you said that, I thought about all the things I've seen in his life where all of a sudden he would have like a prophetic experience. It was very accurate. In fact, she said, not to get off topic, but he was asking the Lord why President Trump wasn't reelected. And then he had an open vision in which he saw incredible violence post-election when he was elected and something happened to President Trump, and then God told him, mercy. Remember one of the things that I had told y'all? Because there's numerous reasons. There's numerous reasons. But one of the things, I was like, Lord, what happened? And he said, y'all prayed for his life to be preserved. Hmm. He said, so it's mercy. So I told her, I said, I can confirm that word because that's what he told me, among other things. But that was one of the things he had told me. So that's what I'm talking about. You don't know what you're doing. And then all of a sudden, wisdom hits. So if you wait to feel anything, and this is regarding all gifts. It can be healing. It can be prophecy. It can be words of knowledge, etc. Administration, helps, hospitality. All these things are gifts. If you wait to feel it, you will never step out into your calm. So Solomon receives a word, I'm going to give you wisdom. He is tested with a very difficult test right off the bat with the two, the two mothers arguing over the baby, right? 
He had to step out in faith and trust that the gift was there. It's the same thing. Where wisdom's concerned, wisdom lives on the inside of you. Just like peace. So whenever you're operating from a place where you need wisdom, James promises us that when you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you. All you're doing is tapping into the inner wisdom that is in Jesus Christ. Same thing with peace. When you ask him for peace, all you need to do is tap into that peace, right? So when you start operating in wisdom from heaven, people start knocking on your door, wanting help. Okay? That is a key to influence among leaders. Because the biggest thing leaders need is wisdom. Really, they do. Other than you know, knowing Jesus Christ, but they need wisdom. So wisdom opened the door for him to influence nations. We as believers should be the most wise of anyone so that we can fill a Matthew 28 mandate of discipling nations. All right, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, uh, this is the scripture I've been kind of alluding to. It says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and uh, redemption. I guess I didn't bring my little. What is my air conditioner thing? Mike looks like he's about to freeze to death. I'm yeah. alright. Oh, it's over there. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. But here's blankets if you need them. Yeah, I know. I'm alright. I'll be fine. <laughs> I have to start bringing this windbreaker. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. The passion of this verse is that he is our God-given wisdom. Solomon was granted wisdom, but we have wisdom in us. So I am serious when I say we should be the wisest, the smartest, and the most intelligent people on the planet. Love, when you love God, you're supposed to love him with your whole mind, too. You know? It's not you love him just with your emotions, you're supposed to love him with your body. You're supposed to love him with your intellect. That's why we don't have to worry about memory and Alzheimer's and things like that because we have the wisdom of God in us. Not only that, but Jesus Christ can rewire our brain. What is needed is belief. Faith that that's the case. That you can remain as sharp in your 90s as you were in your 20s. Right? Okay, so then it says, um, well, I say, that our money should be well-stewarded and making more. Our health should be top-notch. Our relationships should be Christ-like. And that right there is the evidence of wisdom operating in your life, actually. Because, to me, people that don't know God should not be walking in more than we are. I think we've reduced Christianity to a building. We've reduced Christianity to a prayer room. We've reduced Christianity to worship songs. But Christianity is not a doctrine to be contained within a community. It is a doctrine to be possessed within a community to take outside of that and influence nations. It's always supposed to go outward. Now, obviously we shouldn't feel shame of where we are. But what I'm saying is no matter what house we live in, what car we drive, how much we make, what age we are, our lives... And how we live should look more and more Christ-like, full of wisdom. And with the operation of wisdom comes creativity, witty inventions, and more. And it also brings wealth. 
So, when Richard built Dorena's table, he was operating in wisdom. Did y'all know that? Design, putting things together that are aesthetically pleasing is wisdom. Okay? It's very interesting. Remember we learned last week how his servants served, how he laid out his table and seated people. That was all wisdom. So wisdom is seen in very creative and practical ways. In uh, Proverbs 3:16 through 18 in the English Standard, it says, Long life is in her right hand, or wisdom's right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. Okay, the reason wisdom or long life is in her right hand is because wisdom tells you how to eat. Wisdom tells you how to be active, to do the things that prolong life. Now, of course, uh, believing in the supernatural uh, preservation of the Lord is important, but, uh, you know, even like things, you know, when uh, G had COVID, things he did, I believe, saved his life. Things that we did saved our, you know, our bodies from suffering even more. So there, I like it how um, my colleague, uh, Coach Greg, says, he says, you rise to the level of preparation. Okay, so there's always a preparation behind your ability to navigate through trials, tribulations, and also opportunities. And then riches are in her left hand because wisdom tells you how to steward your money, invest, save, and again, gives ideas to help you make more, plus it naturally provokes others to give to you, which I have seen that quite a bit. Now, we went over this a few weeks ago, but the word for honor is the best. I love this. Honor in that verse is kabod or kabod, however you want to say it, the Hebrew word for glory. So if we read it again, it says, in her left hand are riches and glory. Okay? Notice that wealth, which is the definition of riches here, and glory are together. You cannot separate the two. Wisdom leads to greater and greater glory, just like it leads to greater and greater wealth. So Jesus is wisdom. He lives in us. Wisdom, therefore, lives in us. Jesus is the glory of God. The glory lives in us. I mean, you literally cannot escape it. You know, the only way you can get away from wisdom, the only way you can get away from the glory is if you deny Jesus Christ. I mean, literally, that's the only way you can get away from it. Now, if you ignore wisdom, that's when you might start seeing things manifest in your body, your finances, and your relationships that you don't like, okay? So maybe look back on uh, some choices, because quite frankly, I think a lot of what we say are attacks are actually a lack of wisdom, and I've talked about that a lot in the past. Um, now, you know, just as a personal testimony, me and Mike can definitely testify of the value of wisdom. Um, he's always been wise with money. Um, but his wisdom, in, contained in wisdom is his beauty, his splendor, his sense of approval, and even delight. Now, I'm not preaching whatever the prosperity doctrine was. About Mike? Well. 
But when you look at um um oh poop <laughs> Kathy I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Let me see if I can get it back. But I mean we'll literally just sit around and talk about the goodness of God. You know, and the fact is, you know, with the the situation with our finances, you know, and getting out of debt when we were so close to bankruptcy. In the midst of executing wisdom in our finances, God blessed us with the things that now surround us. Family, friends, uh, our home, all of those things. And uh, so when I look back, the only thing I can say is literally following directions. Step one, do this. Step two, do that. And any time we've ended up in a problem, it's because we didn't follow directions. It's that simple for whatever reason. So every area that was in danger of destruction in our lives was transformed using wisdom. All her paths are peace and every good thing you can imagine living in here on earth. Okay, so I don't know what I was going to say, the prosperity doctrine. So I never knew much about the prosperity doctrine. Um, I guess it's where, what is it, you're approved if you have a bunch of money and you're disapproved if you don't have a bunch of money? Is that the prosperity doctrine? No, it's basically name and claim it. Well, I'll name and claim stuff. God tells me to. In other words, basically turning Jesus into a, a servant for you to whatever you want. Just to claim it. I thought there was something, though, that you were approved if you had a bunch of money and everybody was supposed to. Uh, message of it. Yeah. Evaluated by what? What you're blessed uh, with and all that. And the, the disciples thought that too. You know, they were right. You want a Cadillac? Get you But they were shocked when Jesus let people know that you don't go to heaven because you're wealthy. You know what I mean? He, he, and they're like, "What? We thought the blessing of God was a sign, or we thought that wealth was a sign that you were favored of God." So he got rid of that idea. And not only that, but wealth is relative. So I don't know about prosperity doctrine. But what I do know is if you follow God's direction, you increase in wealth. If you follow God's direction, you increase in health. If you follow God's directions, you increase in soul prosperity, which is the most important thing, right? It's actually the cornerstone and the basis. And I can also tell you that poverty is of the devil. Well, don't you think that wisdom gives us the ability to see uh, material uh, giftings, I'll put it that way, in light of what, how he does? Yeah. And I think sometimes the more wisdom we get, the more Holy Spirit we allow to work in us, some of those things that used to matter don't even matter. Yeah. And I think that's a maturity that wisdom gives you to understand this doesn't even count for anything. Or, yes, this is nice, you know, and I'm right. enjoying it. And right. And it also helps you hang loosely to your possessions, mm -hmm. understanding that whatever you possess material-wise, and even spiritually, is to be, like, you're to be a conduit. Now, the other side of that is if God blesses you with a gift and you keep giving away what he wants you to possess, then, you know, that might be a problem. But the majority of the time, the wisdom of generosity, holding on to your possessions lightly, and having a purpose assigned to the wealth. 
which I think that Solomon may have been missing, which we'll, we'll get into. But following directions, listening to wisdom. Now, of course, you're going to have challenges. There's going to be persecution. But, you know, again, here is a response to even persecution. In James 1, 2 through 6, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect or mature, that's what that means in the Greek, and complete, lacking in nothing. So trials of various kinds will produce in you patience, right? And when you let patience have its full effect, then you will be mature, complete, and lack nothing. Then it says in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generally to generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So that's a reference to trials, right, and tribulations, implying that God wants you to get out of them. Did you notice that? It's like, okay, count it all joy because these trials of various kinds you can use at by faith to produce patience because patience is a maturing uh, uh, ingredient. However, you also need to ask for wisdom if you don't possess it in the midst of your trial so that you can get out of it. I think a lot of people... You know, they almost glorify trials and tribulations as a marker of approval. This is implying that wisdom is to get you out of trials and tribulations. Right? Now, persecution will always be there if you're, you know, if you're making any impact for God's kingdom, the more influence you gain through wisdom, the more opposition you can receive. However, there is still wisdom. So like when Kathy taught about uh, the, the um, adulteress who came, right, and they brought her forward, and then he was riding in the ground. That was wisdom. That was a wise way of saying, I am God. So he established that first. As God is your witness, any who is without sin, the same sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Hmm. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, obviously, the older left first. Why? Because they, they're like, you know what? We've been caught here. Then the younger, who are more defiant, you know, it took them a little bit longer. But that's a very interesting thing where you see wisdom operating right there. When he made the whip and he drove out the money changers, that was wisdom. How to drive out the money changers. So I say wisdom is the best plan executed the best way for the best result. In the Proverbs, like this. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's like the really the common theme I think of the whole every book yeah. of the Proverbs. Yeah, yeah. So wisdom is the answer to various trials because it leads us out. Um, now we've talked a lot about this about Paul, 
But uh, in Acts 14, we're going to read it out of the Passion Translation because I want to touch on this just a little bit. And we're almost done because I think this is definitely a two-part. Which means y'all will be able to look ahead. Although I don't like it. That's okay. It's okay. Just bring it back, please, <laughs> for next week. Okay. When we look at the, the first few chapters, especially in the book of Acts, of, of Paul's newfound Christian life, we see a pattern, right? He'd go to a city. He'd preach in that city. Persecution would rise up pretty quickly. He'd either be driven out, arrested, beaten, some other form of abuse. In fact, he was actually stoned to death. So here in Acts 14, 19 through 20, it says, Some of the Jews who had opposed Paul and Barnabas in Antioch and Iconium arrived and stirred up the crowd against them. They stoned Paul and dragged his body outside the city and left him for dead. When the believers encircled Paul's body, he miraculously stood up. Paul stood and immediately went back into the city, and then the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Now, I like how the Passion brings out the notes. Um, I don't know if, Kathy, if you want to uh, look at those, but I think what they say is when it says they encircled him, the idea is they um, stood around him to pray. And then when he prayed, he was resurrected. He stood up. So while he was out is when he had the visions of heaven of which he spoke about in Corinthians chapter 12. I think it might be 1 Corinthians. 1 or 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's one of those. <laughs> and uh, so he was resurrected from the dead. And then he walked back in the city, which uh, I think is kind of interesting. It's like, hey, you already tried to kill me. I'm still alive. Hello. <laughs> what you going to do now? You know, anyway, he might not have been like that. I would have been like Woody coming out of that box, you know, in that show, um, the little cartoon where he walks out. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got it right here. Second, good grief. Maybe I should look at my own notes. <laughs> Second Corinthians 12, 1 through 4, is Paul's description of what happened to him after he was stoned to death and the believers prayed for him. It says, Although it may not accomplish a thing, I need to move on and boast about supernatural visions and revelations in the Lord. Someone I'm acquainted with who is in union with Christ was swept away 14 years ago in an ecstatic experience. He was taken into the third heaven, but I'm not sure if he was in body or out of body, only God knows. And I know this man, again, I'm not sure if he was still in body or taken out of his body, God knows, was caught up in an ecstatic experience and brought into paradise where he overheard many wondrous and inexpressible secrets that were so sacred that no mortal is permitted to repeat them. Now, most scholars believe Paul is referring to himself, and it was, the stoning in Lystra was 14 years before when he wrote that in the Bible. And of course, he wouldn't know if he was dead, because he was dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right, now, listen to the Amplified. And to keep me from being puffed up and too much elated by the exceeding greatness, preeminence of these revelations, there was given to me a thorn, a splinter in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to rack and buffet and harass me, to keep me from being excessively exalted. Three times I called upon the Lord and besought him about this and begged that it might depart from me. But he said to me, My grace 
excuse me, my favor and loving kindness and mercy is enough for you, sufficient against any danger, enables you to bear the trouble manfully. For my strength and power are made perfect, fulfilled and completed, and show themselves most effective in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly glory in my weaknesses and infirmities the strength and power of Christ the Messiah may rest, yes, may pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. Okay, now, there's a couple um, interpretations you can actually make of this passage. Uh, both may actually apply. The one is that in order to prevent Paul from being arrogant because of the level of revelation he carried, uh, a thorn in his side, which it's clearly a messenger from Satan, not from God, but a messenger from Satan uh, came to harass him to keep him from being exceedingly exalted. Now, if that's the case, it, that it was sent because of arrogance, then we would have to have the implication that God allowed a messenger of Satan to harass him. Now, the other side is that, because we know what the, just to clarify, we know what the messenger of Satan was. It was, it was the Jews that were following him from city to city. Okay? It was persecution. Every instance where a thorn in his side or something in the eye is used in the Bible, it's referring to people who harass and vex. Okay? So more than likely, he was experiencing uh, persecution. Okay. He's clearly attributing the thorn in his side, the people sent to rack and buffet and harass him, to the devil. If that's the case, could the interpretation actually be that Paul's revelation of God and the doctrine that he was establishing, Christ in me, the expectation of glory, was reaching such, it, he was achieving such great results and it was spreading way too fast that in order for that doctrine to be so exalted and gain preeminence that the enemy sent a thorn in his side to stop it. Because if you look up here, to keep me from being puffed up and too much elated by the exceeding greatness, preeminence of this revelation, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, to keep me from being excessively exalted. Three times I called and begged him about this and that it might depart. And he said, my grace is enough for you, sufficient for any danger, enables you to bear the trouble manfully. Okay, so to keep me from being puffed up or exalted. So the Greek can be a little bit interesting there. It can say that there needed to be a protection of arrogance, but it can also say there was a, a concerted effort by the enemy to stop Paul. I'm just starting out there because I haven't decided yet. But either way, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. So, Paul was either in a place of spiritual development where he was still uh, weak toward arrogance or he was moving so fast that the enemy contrived an effort to harass him to keep his gospel from having great effect. Now, the persecution that he uh, encountered is a positive thing even though it didn't feel that way. 
in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for revival, reviving, reviling, good grief. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, so that you may obtain a blessing. He then says in 1 Peter 3.17, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then in Philippians 1.28-30 it says, And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of, your destruct, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And finally, in Mark 10, 29-30, says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Okay? So what is this saying? Peter is saying that we've been called to persecution. The purpose of it is to receive a blessing. Okay? Blessing is commendation. In other words, God will commend us in the presence of angels and his people. We also see Peter is saying it's better to suffer doing good if it's God's will. If. Okay. Paul then states that suffering for Christ has been granted to us. Granted is charizomai. Charizomai. C-H-A-R-I-Z-O-M-A-I. It's where we get the word charis for grace, right? It's to show someone a favor and to be kind to. So God, or Paul is saying that suffering is actually the favor of God and being shown kindness. If it's God's will. If. So like the increased persecution on the church in America is not God's will. But if we're not going to get it and it increases, then it's His favor. Okay? So that's the question. Now, I'm tying this all together. According to Jesus and Mark, we also see that material blessings are something He gives us for leaving everything to preach the gospel, but they will come with persecutions. In 2 Thessalonians 1.11, persecution has a way of making us worthy of His calling. So from all these verses, we know we're going to be persecuted for our faith, and that is a favor to us from God when it's His will. Here in Paul's case, it was either God preventing arrogance, or maybe and it was also the enemy's attempt to stop Paul's work. Okay, so the Jews that were following him from city to city, harassing him and hindering him. But Paul, or but God, didn't keep him there. Paul didn't stay in that place. 
He was only there long enough for the work to be done in his heart, but he also asked for wisdom. In Acts 18, it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Okay, so now what's happening? He's been persecuted from city to city to city. He's at the lowest point in his ministry as an apostle. He goes into business with Aquila. Wisdom was to go into business. That was the answer. He didn't see it back in Corinthians. Because a lot of times our answer is something we don't yet see. We don't yet see that maybe the way we're looking at a particular problem is limited by our current understanding. Hence the need for wisdom. The need for growth. Right? Because how you are presently looking at a circumstance can be diametrically opposed to how God is. But we may not be at a point where we can receive that revelation. Therefore, he's like, okay, in between where you're at now in your thinking to where I'm going to take you, I'm going to give you grace to navigate through that time. Your responsibility is to ask for wisdom, listen for it, and continue in my word. Okay? So here we have Paul starts his business. In verses 12 through 17, it says, But when Galileo, or Galileo was proconsul, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge on these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized... Uh, How would you say that? Sothenes? Sothenes. <laughs> SOS. The ruler of the synagogue... They beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. <laughs> now here's the thing. What changed? Before, every time they brought him before a ruler, he was beaten, he was thrown in jail, he was persecuted, etc. This time, the first time, Gallio's like, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not going to listen to anything. And then when they're beating the you-know-what out of the guy that brought the charges, who was the head of the synagogue, he's all, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. does anybody have a file so I can do my nails? You know what I mean? Okay, what happened is the wisdom of God directed Paul to start a business which made him relevant to the marketplace, which includes government leaders and private citizens, where now, when they're trying to bring him before the proconsul, He's like, uh-uh, I know this guy. He's a businessman. He provides all the tents for the Roman army. Okay? So Paul did not have a grid for marketplace ministry yet. His only grid at the time that he was being ran out of city, city, city was 
you're a minister, you go to the synagogues. You do this, you do that. That was his grid. And you can see in the chapter of uh, Acts 18, even like, God, is this, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? You know? And God's like, don't worry. You're doing what I want you to do. Keep going. I've got lots of people in this town, and you will be protected. And he stayed in that town for two years versus a few days, a few weeks, or a few months previously. The byproduct of trials is patience. The byproduct, and this is important, of wisdom is deliverance. Wisdom will deliver you from your current troubles. And it's key to know when a trial is the will of God and when it's not. From that point on, Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen to prevent more of the same, and he drew upon God's never-ending strength for times of trial when that was the time. So, um, let's finish with this verse, and we'll call it a day. Proverbs 8, 18-21 says, Riches and honor are with me, that's wisdom, again, enduring riches and righteousness, because righteousness will make sure you use riches right. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. I mean, that's crazy. So again, wealth and glory are with wisdom. Riches and honor are the same exact words that we read earlier. Riches is wealth in land, cattle, and people, or prosperity in business. And the phrase enduring riches is referring to wealth as well. And get this, <clears throat> wealth made a nation or city important in the world trade markets, but will be useless in times of God's judgment and wrath. We're not a point of Therefore, we need wealth to accomplish our goals. So that's that right there. We'll, we'll, we'll pause. But that is fascinating to me. And I think <coughs> one reason the enemy has worked so hard to create doctrines against wealth that's literally taught in churches <coughs> is because he knows the role of praise in taking nations. I think one reason the enemy has made it his goal to teach us that we're still sinners is because he knows the minute we understand that we're not, we're going to transform nations. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Any doctrine that depowers you is not a thought. I've got a note here. And it's, um, well, it's in 8, and it's the very um, verse 6. It says, those who hate me are, uh, no, let's see. Yeah. It's the footnote. Those who hate me are simply according to death, and it says uh, in the footnote, to hate wisdom is not only a sign of stupidity, but is a mark of depravity. Mm. And I've got that highlighted there. So. And those who hate death or hate wisdom, what is it? Those who, who hate, hate wisdom is not only a sign of stupidity, it is a mark of depravity. And what is it, verse 8? It's the, uh, those who take me are simply flirting with death. And the, that death is what they're talking about. I mean, if you look at even our leaders today, they are flirting with death. Because they're not using wisdom at all. They're using earthly wisdom to get their goals. I um, was listening, and I don't know if y'all followed the governor of New York. 
she came out about two days ago, and they're talking about these 72,000 or Oh, she's getting her apostles gathered yes. up? Yeah, she's yes. preaching at church she about is saying yeah. that God approved the vaccine and that she was calling on the apostles, uh, her apostles or whatever, to spread the good news about this. And pretty much, she was using God to further her own agenda. Yep. And she really had that feeling that she just spoke out her own demise. Yeah, that's not good to do. Yeah. That's not good when you want God. No. No, and so uh, that's why I just love wisdom so much. And uh, it's like my favorite, favorite thing. And So, so that right that's there, good. they're flirting with death. They are. When you get out there and you pull that, that mm-hmm. was not wise. Well, and then even no. if you look at, and again, I mean, you know, the hub is always going to be a marketplace-oriented group. And again, government, the business, right? Here's the situation. Because of that, we are going to say things concerning government. If you look at Trump's term and you look at Biden's term, in Trump's term, you had prosperity. Uh, Now, you couldn't have peace very well because of all the crazy left people, but you had prosperity. We were um, getting our eminence again as far as the country, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we are an embarrassment to the world, and not only that, we're no longer to be trusted. And uh, and then when you look at the bill, like we were discussing Friday, the infrastructure bill tied to the spending bill, which is socialism, will forever take this nation into socialism. And uh, so it's important, you know, like when you have the Christian left, when you have people that get up there, some are infiltrators, and no more Christian than the devil is. Some are kind-hearted Christians that think that we should basically be a socialist nation, although they won't put that term on there. So when you have people that get up in churches and they do this stuff, um, it's very important to hear things in light of the word because they're saying, well, if God is love and if you care for others, we should have open borders because he wouldn't turn away an immigrant. Well, actually, Israel had very clear laws on immigration. Um, well, if God is love, you'll accept everyone, even if they're homosexual, lesbian, etc. Well, I can accept them, but that doesn't mean I'm going to accept the sin any more than I would any other sin. Um, so there's this, well, Jesus would promote socialism because in the book of Acts, everybody sold what they had, they would give to the poor. Yeah, and then he also said, if you don't work, you don't eat. Yeah. You know, and he was a capitalist. So it's a very interesting dynamic that's occurring, and wisdom will hear which voice is speaking. And there was something, um, oh, I was reading in the book by Lucas, I think it's Lucas Miles, the Christian left. I'll be doing some podcasts on it. He said that the response that the church now, the, the position that the church is in from the seeker-friendly, you know, we've got seeker-friendly and all that, was a response to legalism, fundamentalism, and basically hypocritical Christianity. But the response to that is not to go way over to the other side. And so I was asking the Lord, I was like, how, you know, how do you respond to error in a way that is conducive to your kingdom, etc.? And he said, say true the word. You have to separate what you see being done in churches from who I say I am in the word. 
And the days of praying without putting boots in the ground, like Tommy has said, are over. So are the days of people sitting around listening to teaching and never studying on their own. If they're not willing to meditate on the Word and study the Word, they're going to find themselves increasingly deceived. So it's very important to know what the Word says. And of course you can listen to teaching, but it's important to make sure you know God's character as well. That's wisdom. Right? The rock growing we're going to start with that. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and pray over our tithes and offerings. Father, we thank you so much, number one, for Kathy Sheff. And, uh, Father, we also thank you for the ability to be marketplace apostles, influencers and solutionaries who are able to solve complex issues in all seven mountains, a prophetic company. That you are raising up over all the earth, the ecclesia, the rule of God on the earth. And as such... We are able and enabled by God to acquire and gain wealth, to establish His covenant in the earth. Because the glory dwells inside of us, we have the ability to capture it. And so, Father, as part of our commitment, our loyalty to you in capturing wealth, we give our tithes and offerings. And so this morning, we give it under no obligation of the law. We rebuke the devourer from our finances and our prosperity, both soul and body and material possessions. We rebuke him and we say that nothing that we put our hands to will not be fruitful. And even those things that maybe we're kind of trying to figure out that can seem like failures, we will instead take his feedback so that we are relevant to society. We provide services, whether in ministry, business, or government that are beneficial to those that you give us to influence. I pray, Father, that we become so wise that we have people call us up and say, hey, I've got this problem. What should I do? And we can gain the ear of those that are leaders, Father. They need to hear wisdom. They need to know what voice is yours and what voice is it. And so I ask that you help us to be those people in true humility. And so today, we give you our tithes and offerings, and we ask that Jesus receive them where he is seated. And we ask, Father, that you help us to continue to honor wisdom, to listen to wisdom, to heed wisdom's voice. We don't want to be depraved. We don't want to flirt with death. We want to be wise people. And I ask, Father, that with how the economy is now shaping up and the different things that are going on, that you give us even more wisdom so that we prosper in the midst of all that's going on witty inventions, creativity, uh, wise financial decisions, wise investing decisions. We ask for all of those things that you keep us safe and flourishing according to Psalm 1, 1-3. In Jesus' name, amen.